In this special presentation at this hour, we have the experience of friends of ours whom we have known for some 25 years. To me, it is both a very sad experience and it is also a most thrilling experience of what can happen to a home that has been torn asunder and then how the Lord can rebuild. The first part of the story is very normal to the human heart. Uh, Randy and Margaret were rather opposites in many respects. Randy was very easygoing. He was a minister. He loved the Lord in the way that he understood him as far as he knew him, but he didn't know him too well. Randy knew a lot of uh, theory. He could reel off much of the Bible prophecies and, and a great deal of the doctrines of the Bible, but he wasn't too well acquainted with Jesus Christ as his very personal Savior. Margaret, on the other hand, was not easygoing. She was very responsible. And as the years came and went in their marriage, she hoped that he would be responsible. Many years ago, she came to us at one of the old-fashioned camp meetings and asked us to pray for Randy. She said, I, I just wish that he would, would be more responsible. She said, he's, he's getting a new car maybe every six months or eight months of the year, and, and the money that he spends on cars, he could save, he could save hundreds of dollars, she said, for the home if he if he'd only be more responsible and she said he just lives on gadgets he seems to have the disease called gadgetitis oh he wants this thing and that thing and the other that really contributes in no way to the needs of the home and we did pray for him but little did we realize the tragedy that would take place in that home uh, what happened was this margaret as precious as she was and she was a regular queen she tried her best to, to sort of reform Randy. Did you ever try to reform anybody? <laughs> How about that? You know, that is one of the poorest ways of reforming people, is for one creature to try to create in another creature a new heart. Because creatures can create a new heart. Only the Lord can create new hearts. But poor Margaret, made the same mistake that nearly every one of us here at this session have been making in one way or another. We've been trying to reform our mates, or we've tried to reform our children, or we've tried to reform our neighbors, you know. <clears throat> we figured, oh, if I could just sort of adjust this neighbor and get this neighbor, or my children, if I could just fix them up and make them what they ought to be. But my friends, that is contrary to God's word whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. It is God's immutable, eternal, impeccable, never-failing word received in the human heart that reforms, yea, regenerates. The human word cannot regenerate a human soul, you see. We can talk and talk and preach and preach and belittle and we can go through all of that and it will never regenerate the human soul. But the Lord is spoken, and his word has creative power. He spake in the beginning, the psalmist says, in Psalm 33, 6 and 9. It says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. All the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, he spake, and it was. He commanded it, stood fast. Oh, my friends, don't you see, every time that you and I try to reform somebody, 
We're taking the seat or the chair or the place, or trying to, of the Creator. He makes new hearts. Isn't it a shame that we try to place, uh, try to act Creator? Well, it went on this way for years. Randy and Margaret went to mission field. They carried on a program for, there for several years. Came back to the States. He carried on again. But there was one thing that Randy needed. As a minister of the gospel, he needed Jesus. All the while he was preaching about various doctrines, he didn't know that his sins were forgiven. He didn't know that he had the right here and now to accept eternal life as a free gift. As we sat with them many years later, after they had become sweethearts again, he said, Brother Kuhn, I'm thankful that I can say now, if I were to die tonight, I can say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. I can say, I thank him for the gift of eternal life. He said, I was ministering for years and years, and I never had the assurance that Jesus Christ was my very personal Savior. I say, it's a tragedy, friends. What do you say? What a tragedy. Moving along, knowing doctrines, knowing theories, all of them good, but not knowing Jesus Christ. This is life eternal, Jesus said in John 17, 3. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Friends, I want to invite anyone within the hearing of my voice, anyone viewing this program, don't rest satisfied. Don't retire tonight until you have knelt down. If you've never before accepted Jesus Christ and received the assurance of eternal life here and now, don't lie down until you reach up in simple childlike faith and say, Lord, you've said the gift of God is eternal life. And Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And you've told me, Lord, in 1 John 5, 13, that, that you had your apostle write this so that we might know here and now that we have eternal life as surely as we have Jesus Christ. Well, Randy didn't know it. Isn't that a tragedy? Isn't it a tragedy for a man to stand before hundreds of people week after week presenting to them good theories, biblical truths, and not have the assurance that Jesus Christ is his very personal Savior? So it went for years. Margaret always hoping that a little hint here, a little suggestion here, a little belittling here, belittling here, hoping that somehow this would create in him the life that would be acceptable to God. But it all failed. Nothing succeeded. Now, in turn, when Randy didn't give her the companionship she needed, when Randy wasn't thinking nearly as much of her as, his, as he was of his own happiness, you know what could happen? There was a, an aching void in her heart. And then she was teaching. She was a beautiful teacher, music teacher. And there was a boy, a young man, a handsome young man, but a problem young man that needed help. And uh, Margaret, with her heart of tender love, said, I want to help that young man. I want to, I want to encourage him. I want to bring him uh, faith and hope so that he'll know there's something for which to live. And so as Margaret was teaching him, her heart was going out in love. 
You know, nobody can win a soul to Jesus Christ except through love. It's very important. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love him because he first did what? Loved us, you see. So soul winning is a spiritual love affair. This is why every individual who has a burden for a human soul should be exceeding careful to place cautions around this soul winning activity. Men working for men, ladies working for ladies, two people working for anyone of the opposite sex, you see. But she didn't know about that. And while her soul went out, her heart went out in an eagerness to help Randy, of all things, she became attracted to him. And as the weeks passed, she hardly, she couldn't understand her feelings because she was a very pure, wholesome lady. She was like a queen. Had no impure motives whatsoever in her soul. And she couldn't understand, why do I enjoy so much being with Randy? If they'd have a church picnic, she enjoyed being there with Randy. Ah, friends, may we learn a lesson right here. At the first feeling of attraction to the opposite sex, the individual that we have no right to have this feeling, let us turn to God instantly and say, Oh, Lord, you have promised that it is God that works in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure. And your good pleasure is that I not become involved. Philippians 2.13. And, Lord, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13. But Margaret had never had an experience like this before, and she really enjoyed it. But she was pure. And one day, Randy noticed, having noticed for several weeks, this attraction and the fact that they were together. They were in the swimming pool at their home. It was a hot day, sun beating down. He came out of the swimming pool, lay there out beside the swimming pool there, and all at once, he began to accuse Margaret as though he were an insane man. He belittled her. He accused her. He condemned her. He told her that he knew that she was an adulteress. And he kept that up day after day, day after day, until finally Margaret could stand it no longer. She fled from the home, went up to her parents' home several hundred miles from there. There she had the sympathy of her loved ones at least. Randy was so sure that his wife had be become an adulteress that he wasted no time. He called the church board together, the church of which he was pastor. He told them that he was sure that she had committed this sin. They passed an action recommending that her name be dropped from the church. They presented to the church business meeting, and inside of two weeks, I believe it was, Margaret's name was dropped from the church records as an adulteress. Margaret living up several hundred miles from where he was, went to church, but her heart was heavy. She heard where she was, various rumors, and the rumors included the word, the words, that woman, referring to her, that woman. And she knew what it meant. She knew that the gospel had come, gone all the way from where Randy lived, the hundreds of miles, spreading across America, that she was that woman who had committed that sin. One day she talked with a pastor, and she said, I've not committed that sin. 
I'm not an adulteress. It's true I was attracted to Randy, to, uh, to Hiram, the boy, the young man. She said, but, but I didn't commit the sin. And she said, and then she started to belittle her husband a little. And then she caught herself. As she went home, she thought it over. She said, wait a minute, he is the Lord's anointed. If David, if David's heart condemned him for clipping off a little bit of the garment of Saul because he was the Lord's anointed, I better be careful. I will bring no railing accusation against my husband at all under any condition. Nobody from henceforth will ever hear me belittle him. He's a minister of the gospel. I'll let the Lord deal with him. And she said, I called the pastor on the telephone. I said, Pastor, I made a mistake. Though I only said a few sentences to belittle my husband, I made a mistake. He's the Lord's anointed. I have no business belittling anyone who is preaching God's word. And she said, and I shall, by the grace of God, never say one belittling word of him again, no matter what rumors are spread about me. And she said, Pastor, if it ever comes out, since I've never told another soul, I'll know that you broke my confidence. Beware. <laughs> he said, I will beware, and I'll never break your confidence, and he never did. As the weeks came and went, Margaret realized her great need of God. My wife and I happened to be in the area at the time. Having known them for so many years, we went to visit her. We'd heard that she was really attracted, overly attracted to this young man. So we went to see her two or three times. We prayed with her. And friends, do you know, when you pray for somebody who has slipped, even though she hadn't committed the sin, you know how you pray with this person? Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. How shall we work for somebody who has committed a sin, or we think they've committed a sin of that type? In the spirit of what? Meekness. Be kind and sweet. Let them know that we are, we are no holier than thou individuals. Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he's their Savior. And I think she received quite a bit of strength from our, from our conversation with her because we asked the Lord to help us to be very, very kind to her. In the meantime, she very strongly came into this, this first thought of hers, the first thought of never belittling him. And this thing grew and grew in her heart. I will never, under any condition, nobody will ever hear me justify myself. You know, that's quite, a, that's quite an experience. Do you know it? When you're pointed down, looked down upon as though you are a sinner of her type and to refuse to justify self, I say Jesus was finding his way in her heart. What do you say? Amen. Tremendous, friends. Praise God for it. But back home, Randy was also getting closer to the Lord. Randy said, you know, dear Lord, maybe I've not been fit to live with. Isn't that wonderful? You know, the faithful mate is the mate that usually takes this holier-than-thou attitude. I'm all right. Imagine what my wife is like. <clears throat> Not Randy. Though he had led his church in disfellowshipping her, and though now he had divorced her, he had second thoughts. You know, as we draw near to Jesus Christ, this precious, wonderful Savior, he tells us of himself. Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he made himself of no reputation. Randy said, oh Lord, I presume Margaret and I will never be remarried. But Lord, just in case it should happen, I want to be the kind of a man that would be fit to be her husband. And he told me later, he said, that thing possessed my thinking. Oh God, help me to be the kind of a man that Margaret can be proud of. And he said, as I ask God to help me, help me, I cease to zero in so much on her unfaithfulness as my own need. But he said, as the months came and went, I finally decided that there was no hope for remarriage. She had been unfaithful to me. So he said, I began to look around. We were divorced. I knew I had Bible grounds, quote, unquote. So he said, I looked around for a companion. I found Lorraine South, a beautiful, beautiful Christian woman. And he said, we were engaged. And he said, finally, we announced to my three churches, for he had three churches. He said, I announced to my three churches the marriage date and invite them all to come to the wedding. But you know, the Lord is wonderful. Back where Margaret was, the Holy Spirit impressed her. Your husband is planning to marry. He has no Bible grounds, therefore he will be committing adultery. You owe it to him to jump on the plane, fly down to where he lives, and tell him that he has no Bible grounds. You were not unfaithful. You made the mistake of the infatuation. You didn't plan on it. But he has no Bible grounds. And she said, my relative said, Margaret, that's silly. He won't believe you anyway. Look at what he's done to you. Doesn't that sound like a good thoroughbred registered devilish philosophy? Men and women who are telling others there is no such thing as reconciliation, they are preaching for the devil, my friends. There is such a thing of individuals being reconciled in Jesus Christ. She said, I paid no attention to anything any of them said. She said, I said, I'm going to hop a plane, I'm going. She said, when I got down to the city where Randy lived, she said, I took a, <clears throat> I took a taxi over to the home. She said, because I knew where he was living. And she said, as I went to the home, the, the house was open. She said, I could see they'd all left somewhere. They'd all, an evangelistic company were holding meetings there, and they'd all left for a picnic out at the beach. She said, so I said to myself, I'm going in to look around and, and see if there's any evidence that he, that he plans to marry somebody. She said, sure enough, I opened the closet, and there I found the, the, the lady's shoes. She said, I even measured to see the size of shoes she wore. <laughs> she said, I, I checked to see the size of the, of the dresses that she had. And she said, and I looked around, spent several hours. She said, I finally walked into the front room and sat down. And she said, when the group came back, just like the Lord would have it, Randy led the way. She said, he opened the door to where I was sitting. And he said, oh. And he came over to where I was. And I said, I'm glad to see you. Words to that effect. Glad to see you. She said, it's rather an awkward meeting. And she said, but Randy was up to the occasion. He said, Margaret, how would you like to have me take you for a ride? And I'll show you. I'll show you our church day school and our beautiful new church complex and all of this. And she said, all right, I will. She said, as we're riding together, 
I said, Randy, I have come down. The Lord impressed me to come down to tell you that you have no Bible grounds for marriage. And if you marry, you're going to be committing adultery. I never was untrue to you. She said, and as we were riding along and he was showing me the various buildings and, and this and that and the other, she said, I thought to myself, man, what a prince is sitting beside me. He told me, he said, as we were riding along, he said, I thought, man, what a princess is sitting beside me. She said, Randy, you have no right to marry. She said, before we got back home, we had decided that we would remarry. But she said, when we got back home, there was Lorraine South. What in the world was he going to do to that poor girl? Innocent as could be. She said, but by the grace of God, Randy was up to the occasion. He faced the facts. He told Lorraine South that he had no right to marry her. Would she pardon him for having gone into this fellowship and taking too much for granted? His wife had been true to him. He had no right to marry her. Lorraine South was a beautiful Christian, and though her heart was aching, she said, you're right, you marry her. And God rewarded Lorraine. She got a good husband. I want you to be sure to know that. <laughs> for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It was several years later that we saw them again at a camp meeting. Randy and Margaret were sitting there sharing with me this experience. I want to tell you, my friends, it was like hot and cold fomentations. The sad experience through which they passed, and now the lovers that they were. You know, some people sort of put on how much they love. But I knew Randy well enough, and I knew Margaret well enough to know they were not putting on anything. He said, Brother Coon, he said, this wife of mine is the most wonderful wife in all the world. And his face beamed. And she said, Brother Coon and Randy is the most wonderful man in all creation. And they meant it. And they said, we are absolutely happy. We're thrilled for the privilege to be sweethearts again. Do you know, my friends, the devil tells people, you can't be a sweetheart again. Look at what that person did. My friends, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Jesus Christ makes things new. And men and women who find themselves separating in thought or parents who are separating from their children can come to Jesus Christ. And they can say, Lord, create in me a new heart, a clean heart, a pure heart, a soft heart instead of a hard heart, and build our home together. And God will do it. He wants to do it. All right, now we're ready for questions. The first one is, doesn't there have to be evidence in a church trial in order to kick somebody out for adultery? And the man had no evidence. Th there should be evidence. <laughs> Actually, uh, why he thought he had evidence was when he stepped out of the pool that night, or that day, and started blaming her, she said, all right, disfellowship me if you want to. So he thought that that was, was an admission on her part. She was just so fed up with it. So they thought that she had admitted it, but she hadn't. How careful we should be, shouldn't we? How careful we should be not to, not to put a sinner in the mold unless we're sure. And if we are sure, then do what? Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Thank you. The next Here's a very good question. How can a person motivate a mate who thinks he knows enough about Jesus already since he learned it 
in Sunday school as a child? That's a good question. I wonder, uh, is there somebody here that would like to give us your thought? If so, you can come right up and sit beside me. How could you motiv motivate a mate to feel their need of Jesus when they already feel they have him? Uh, is that about the way that was worded? All right, who would like to just uh, share uh, this with us? Uh, in fact, I can come to where you are. How would you go about motivating? Anybody here? Go about motivating a mate to get more of Jesus when they already think they have enough of him. Well, I, I might not do so well at motivating, but I would claim the promise of Isaiah 42, 16, that I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. Thank you. Anyway, and I will make crooked yes. things straight. Amen. And I will not forsake him. Thank you. Did you all hear that? Isaiah 42, 16. My, thank you. And, and does someone else have a, a thought on that? Just lift your hand and we will. Here's a mate. He thinks he knows Jesus well enough, but, but his mate knows that his knowledge of Jesus is pretty superficial. Now, <clears throat> There's a promise to claim. I like that very much, don't you? As we claim the promise, is there any other? Uh, uh, what would you do while you're claiming that promise? I wanted to know. That's why I asked the question. Are you the one to ask the question? Oh, thank you. She asked the question. She, well, now that's very interesting, isn't it? Well, all right. Uh, would you have a thought? Well, by beholding, you become changed, and that works as well with the Father as it does for you and me. And if uh, this man was to see in his own wife things that he didn't have in his own life, he would notice them. And he would want to know more about what she had. He would want to know why there was that difference. Thank you. And I think I heard you say what? Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. Thank you. How many can say amen to that? Amen. That is it, isn't it? Uh, by beholding, we're changed in the same image. The, uh, and by the way, there's another uh, statement of Scripture that... Uh, that we can build on for that. And that is 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7. It says uh, to the wives whose husbands don't have the experience that they do, it says that we're not to preach at them. Don't preach at them. But it says, let them see a meek and quiet spirit and a submissive spirit. Then it goes farther. It says, then be like, uh, be like Sarah of old. How many remember about Sarah and Abraham? <laughs> it said, be like Sarah of old, who called Abraham what? Who knows what she called Abraham? She, uh, Sarah called Abraham what? Lord. Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yes. Can you imagine? <laughs> right, like right. She called him Lord. My, do you suppose she was sarcastic when she said, hello, Lord? No. <laughs> you don't think? I don't either. Now, that, that is tremendous respect, isn't it? So here's a mate that hasn't grown in grace as much as we wish the mate would. Instead of picking, we're summarizing now, instead of picking on this person, instead of, uh, of preaching at this person, we reflect by the grace of God such a winsomeness that that mate will say, oh, man, I want to be like that person. All right, the next question. Uh, how long does one wait to be remarried if one has Bible grounds? Uh, I would wait till I got the license. <laughs> All right. I, 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I wait till I got the license. I'm not trying to be facetious, but uh, <clears throat> why do you have to wait? Unless there's some reason to wait, why wait? The thing to wait is to wait on getting a divorce, <laughs> right? Wait on the separation. But when you're sure, now there, there, are, there are some things to consider too. When a husband and wife are separated, surely they wouldn't want to come back and live together until they have studied how to find solutions, right? They don't just say, well, we made a mistake, we're going, no. Study together. They may want to go to some good Christian counselor, but there are certain Bible rules that they have been neglecting, and that's why they were separated. Since those Bible rules that they were neglecting was the reason why they, why they were separated, they'll now want to learn these rules so when they do marry again, they will be conforming to those rules in a growing spiritual atmosphere, right? By all means. Our next questioner wants to know, does God ever break up a marriage? Does God ever break up a marriage? Well, that's, that's a good question, isn't it? Uh, maybe, maybe some of you will give me your... And listen, when you help me with these answers, remember this. If you give the wrong answer, you can change your mind. <laughs> I, for years, when I was pastor of a church, I would say to them, let's all be free to talk. But I said, there's one ground rule. After you talk, be just as free to change your mind <laughs> as not. I said, I'll do it too. So... What would you say? Here's a young lady. <clears throat> you think the Lord breaks up marriages? I'm sure if he had a reason to, I think he would. If he had a good reason to, he would. That, you're a diplomat. <laughs> you are a diplomat. The Lord wouldn't break up any marriage unless there was a good reason. Such as if this reason is to keep somebody from growing closer to God or growing closer to Christ, I think maybe taking sort of like he wants us to grow closer to the Lord. If this person wants to grow closer to the Lord. <clears throat> to, now, would the Lord, anyone else have a thought on this? Does the Lord break up? Oh, way back here we are. Uh, uh, he says. He says not to be unequally yoked. And if we definitely go into knowing that we're unequally yoked, I think there's a difference with God because we're not depending upon him in the first place. So I think there would be a reason that the Lord, if he would ignore it at all, it would be because of that. Thank you. Now, you see, actually, we have something now to think about. God is in business of breaking up marriages that have never yet been, <clears throat> never yet taken place. <laughs> right? If there are a couple who are I was thinking in terms of people who are already married, but these people have brought out the thought, if we're planning to marry someone who does not see Jesus Christ as we see him and understand his principles as we do, the Lord wants to break that up before it takes place. Amen? Thank you. That's very, very good. Did you have another word here? Yes. All right. He had a word right here. Well, it says in the Bible, <coughs> let, uh, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. But you have to remember the important word, what God put together. Right. And he may allow marriages to separate that he didn't put together. <laughs> well, bless your heart. What God put together, let no man put asunder. All right. Is there another question? What uh, position is a person in biblically if, uh, 
your mate divorces you, but there is no adultery of, on either per person's part. This is an, this is an ecclesiastical question. <laughs> this is a theological question. Uh, in this theological question, uh, <clears throat> you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in real trouble. The church of which I am a minister recognizes no grounds for remarriage except unfaithfulness, adultery. That's a, that's a rough deal, isn't it? Isn't that a rough deal? You know, friends, <clears throat> we ought to study very carefully before we throw away a marriage. Not merely because of the pronouncement of the church, but you know, my friends, children, where children are involved in a marriage, it just, in most cases, it tears those children apart. You know, I've often thought if a daddy and mommy, if they didn't care about their mate at all, if they had a thought concerning what it would do to the children, wouldn't they think, wouldn't they think twice, wouldn't they think a hundred times before they broke up the marriage? I believe that marriages can be continued forever as long as both shall live if they'll learn the laws of marriage. Because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 11, 21, 18 to 21, that if we will learn his laws, we shall have days of heaven upon the earth. How about that? You see, when people raise poultry, before a man starts raising poultry, as a rule, he learns the science of, of, of raising poultry. If he's going to go out and be a farmer, he will learn something about farming. But when a person marries, he pays no attention to the science of marriage. Bingo, in they go, and bingo, out they go. For every two marriages, a divorce, almost. Thank you. Is there another question? Uh, yes. What about the fact that you and your husband were divorced years ago before we were saved? Now I've remarried. What is my standing? We always accept them. God forgives the past, and we welcome them. Welcome in the fold of God. Aren't you glad that God isn't, isn't looking down his nose? Amen. Always welcome them in the fold. Thank you. The next, is there still one more question? Oh, yes. When we pray for a mate to receive Jesus and become converted, if it doesn't happen for several years, is it our fault? Not necessarily. We may have contributed toward it, but remember this. Right in heaven, in the presence of the very atmosphere of purity, how many angels did the Lord lose? <coughs> One-third. Among the 12 disciples, did he lose any? He lost one. So don't go around condemning yourself because your mate hasn't found Jesus. But there's another side of the coin, too. I've often read from one of my favorite authors a statement to the effect that if we would put into effect five new attitudes, new Christian attitudes, we could win a hundred over. And uh, it says if we'd humble ourselves, be kind and courteous, tender-hearted and pitiful, we could win a hundred. So actually, while we're not to condemn ourselves, if our mate or our children or our parents have not accepted Christ, on the other hand, we're to do everything in our power to let the beauty of Jesus shine out so they see the winsomeness. 
Imagine a wife who, who would go so far as to call her husband Lord. Man alive. Brother, be pretty hard for him to resist going to church with her, wouldn't it? <laughs> would, if, he, if, he knew, if, if he thought she meant him. <laughs> Most people saying that would say it sarcastically, right? All right, the next question. <clears throat> How does one overcome jealousy? And is it true that jealousy is due to insecurity? There are two forms of jealousy. There's jealousy which is suspicion. There's jealousy which is suspicion. And suspicion is often termed jealousy. There's another jealousy that's perfectly proper. In the commandments, the Lord says, I am the Lord thy God, am a what? A jealous God. Now, there are certain things that God has a right to expect from his children. He has a right to expect us un, from us undivided loyalty. So part of our loyalty will not be to him and part of our loyalty will be to the world, see? And if we give part of our loyalty to the world, God is jealous because he has the right to it. On the same basis, a wife has the right. For instance, my wife, I'm a minister. My wife says, I belong to the public. This is true. But there are certain things that my wife has the right in regard to me that no other woman in the world has. And she has the right to expect that. She has the right to be jealous when she sees me flirting, if she does. Because I belong to her. I don't belong to any other woman. That's proper jealousy. But she doesn't have a right to go around being suspicious of me. See the difference? Jealousy, yes, we have the right to be jealous of the love of our mate. They too shall be one flesh. Amen? Amen. And, and when a man, when any man <clears throat> says to his wife, I'm being true to you, but I, I do go over to this lady's place, you know, and uh, nothing is wrong, but I just go over and we visit together. She has a right to say, uh, keep your place. Your place is at my home and my home is your home. She has that right. She has that duty to do it kindly. Your place is not giving any other woman in the world the place that I have. Your love, your attention belongs to me. Amen? Amen. Now, I have the right to counsel with people. I even give men coon hugs. And occasionally I give a lady a coon hug. And I give little children coon kisses. Very rarely I give a lady a coon kiss. And my wife is jealous of that because the Bible says greet one another with a, with a holy kiss. You see, that's all right. But she would have every right in the world to say, honey, why are you going over to that home so many times? <laughs> see? And I have no right to say you're suspicious. No, uh, you, this is your home. This is your home. The next questioner says, um, should a wife be forced to remain married to a man who does not work, who drinks to drunkenness and beats her constantly? What does the Bible say about this? Are there no provisions made uh, for fear of your own life as well as the children? That's a wonderful question, wonderful. <clears throat> In uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the 6th verse, Hebrews 12, 6, and in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, <clears throat> we read things like this. 
Hebrews 12, 6. Whom God loves, he chastises. Chastisement, discipline, is just as much a part of love as smooching. And in, in Ecclesiastes 8.11 it says, except because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, it is fully set in men's hearts to do evil. It is just as important for a godly mate to bring this other mate who is carrying on like that <clears throat> to task. But remember, there are three phases in this. The first phase is for her, first to ask God to make her so winsome. That's First Peter 3, 1 to 3. Make her so winsome, so kind, so lovable that he'll have somebody worth loving. The second phase is for her to claim, and it can be done at the same as, time as the first, is for her to claim Bible promises from the Lord to change his heart by seeing how kind she is. She may want to get a little group in a prayer group who will be praying for him. As they're praying for him, she is still carrying on the first phase at the same time of the second phase. Lord, help me to be winsome. Help me not to retaliate. I found this. If she retaliates once in a month, the devil will tell him she's picking on me all the while. So ask God to keep her from retaliating at all during this first phase of being winsome and sweet and praying. The second phase is to pray earnestly that she'll not be angry, she'll not blow a stack, as they say, and she'll say to him, Jim, we cannot have this anymore. This is not home. You'll have to choose that way of living or choose me. And the sooner she does that, after she's given him an opportunity of seeing what kind of a Christian she is and how kind she is, the sooner she does it, the better. Maybe within six weeks, you see. But the, the caution is this. There are so many mates that start reading to their mate the riot act before they've shown themselves to be winsome and meek. So the mate says in his heart, she is worth living with. Make ourselves so beautiful that the mate will say, man alive, I hate to give this up, see? Who wants to give up a $10 bill for a $1 bill? Amen? So make yourself a $10 bill, 10 times better than the other one. He said, man, I don't know. I, I, I guess I better stick around. I guess it's worth letting the Lord clean up my life. In your outline notes for this session, you state that Randy was intelligent, but a little on the easygoing side, while Margaret was fully as intelligent, but dependable. I happen to consider myself an easygoing person, and I'm a very dependable person. Since when is easygoing a dirty word? That is, that is good. Thank the Lord that you're both and you know it. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. Keep it up. Keep, a person can be easygoing and dependable, right? Right. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.